Welcome to the Startup Launchpad Podcast. I'm your host, Carl, and in each episode, we are going to unpack key insights, expert advice, and success stories to power up your startup journey. Let's make your entrepreneurial dreams a reality. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's conversation. We have all the speakers up and we are ready to get started. Um, thanks for joining us once again. All right. So today we're going to be talking about the challenges and opportunities with going a startup in Africa. And we've got four amazing speakers um, joining us today. And I'm going to do a quick introduction um, slash reading their bio. And then I'm going to give the speakers an opportunity to um, introduce themselves and tell us a bit about what they do, their companies, and then we'll get right into the discussion for today. All right. So, um, yeah, so let's get on with our introductions. So we've got, um, like I said, four amazing speakers. We have Afolabi Lofi Marking. Um, he's an investment associate at ZQuest Capital. Then we've got Ashley Emmanuel. Ashley is the co-founder and COO of Semicolon Africa. We've got Dari Ojobelo. He's the founder of Deliman Inc. And we've got Tanya Kabuya founder and CEO of Wiz Digital. So um, first up is Afolabi Lofimaking. He's an investment associate, like I said, at ZQuest Capital. And he has a keen interest in entrepreneurship and marketing and is motivated by the desire to make meaning contributions to the African startup ecosystem while learning new experiences. So thank you so much, Afolabi, for joining us. We're looking forward to your insights to the conversation. Um, next up, we have Ashley Manuel. Ashley is the co-founder and chief operating officer at Semicolon Africa. Semicolon Africa is a company that is enabling Africa's digital transformation by building tech-focused talent and businesses. Ashley has um, 15 years experience delivering and managing impact-focused work in both the U.S. and Nigeria. And before Semicolon, she was the CEO of, of Efina, which is um, Enhancing Financial Innovation and Access. Um, an organization that drives financial inclusion um, in Nigeria. And so, yeah, great to have you on, Ashley. I'm looking forward to your thoughts as well. Um, next up, we have Dari Ojobelo. Dari is the founder and um, CEO of Deliman. And Deliman is an Uber for logistics, um, last mile delivery marketplace, and an asset aggregator. And Deliman has raised about 260K in angel rounds and is the product of the Quest to solve the numerous failures experienced by merchants as well as individuals who desire prompt, affordable, and efficient delivery services in low-trust environments like Nigeria. And last but definitely not the least, we have Tanya Kabuya. Tanya is the Chief Executive Officer at Wiz Digital. Wiz Digital is a South African and Nigerian-based go-to-market marketing strategy consultancy that assists, assists tech startups and consulting businesses with growing their audiences, attracting clients, and cultivating brand recognition through social media by deploying the content marketing ecosystem playbook. So great to have you on here, here Tanya. And um, for those just joining, like I said, we're going to be talking about the challenges and opportunities with growing a startup in Africa. But first up, I don't think anybody can introduce the speakers like they can. So I want to give them two to three minutes each to kind of like just introduce themselves, talk about what they do and their companies from their perspective, and we'll get started into conversation. So we'll start off with Deliman, then Ashley, then Folabi, then we'll end up with Tanya. So, um, Dari, you can go ahead. Okay, uh, good evening, um, everyone. If you can hear me, 
Um, many thanks for yes, we can hear you loud and clear. Yeah, many thanks for putting this together. Uh, my name again is Dario Jubelo, uh, founder CEO at Delhi Man. And a few years ago, we set out to solve the um, problems that um, the, the market, I call it the low trust market, uh, in terms of delivery, especially as it concerns how to power the success of small merchants in Nigeria and across Africa. And, and I think today, um, you know, using an Uber-like model, but more importantly that um, we have uh, an infrastructure, not physically in that sense, but we build an infrastructure, a platform uh, that takes care of, um, you know, several use cases, whether they are individuals, uh, B2C, uh, B2B, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, customers who require fast, efficient delivery services. And basically we're using algorithms that allow us to match um, requests of uh, delivery services with closest riders um, at the pickup location because uh, the success of every delivery starts with that uh, pickup experience. Uh, I, th I think today we've reached about 100,000 um, orders uh, successfully delivered on the platform and just operating in Lagos alone. Uh, we're now at the point where we're trying to expand uh, across major cities for uh, interstate and even uh, do, do, do a lot of that across the African continent as well. So I'm happy to be here. And um, um, yeah, uh, as we go along, uh, I believe that I'm here to learn from other uh, speakers as well. Um, thank you very much for having me. All right, um, Ashley. Hi, good evening. Uh, very nice to be here, hey, everybody. I won't repeat the intro, but just to add to that a bit. Um, so at Semicolon, uh, we do a few things. Um, we do training uh, in terms of building talent. Um, one way we do that is we have an intensive one-year techpreneurship program. Um, so we basically take people, some of whom who have no prior background in tech, um, and um, turn them into versatile software engineers uh, with the focus on problem solving, um, software engineering, but also business management skills um, through our partnership with Henley Business School. Um, we do other kinds of training as well for individuals, for companies. Um, we do um, some companies, you know, just need support in digitizing and or carrying out tech-related projects in, in one way or another. So we also have Semicolon Labs, uh, which is a team of strong software engineers that can support kind of advisory or project implementing projects for companies. Um, and we, we help companies also get the right talent um, that they're looking for, pulling from either the pool of uh, software engineers we've trained, but also our broader um, pool of tech talent. Um, so that's, that's kind of an overview of semicolon. Um, we have also, I'll mention, we have a really big focus on gender inclusion, given that women are significantly underrepresented in the tech space. Oh, and I actually forgot to mention, one other thing we do is venture building. Um, so working with early stage startups um, to really help them get off the ground, launch successfully um, through our semicolon ventures program. Um, and we also do some training for early stage companies um, in partnership with Henley Business School and Lagos Business School. So I'll stop there. Pleasure to be here. Thanks. Great, Ashley. Thank you so much. Um, Falabi. Hi, everyone. Um, it's nice to be here. Um, thank you for having me. And um, I work as the investment associate for Zephyrus Capital. Zephyrus Capital is a venture capital firm in Nigeria. 
Um, we invest in early state to early growth state company, and um, we become a leading Series C and Series A investor in these startups, trying to drive innovative business and model tailored for the sub-Saharan African market. We have uh, a sector agnostic um, thesis, and we'd like to see ourselves as a pan-African investor because we invest across board. We have investments in Kenya, um, South Africa, um, Nigeria, and also in in, in most of Francophone African countries. And we have some investments also outside outside Africa as well. We have in Asia as well. Basically, um, we just try to invest. We Our ticket size are actually between 25K to 100,000, 100, depending on the state really. We, we can go above um, 200 as well in ticket size. We are biased to fintech, but we are, we are also sector, very sector agnostic. Thank you um, all so much. and. Um... Yeah, really happy to hear everybody's perspective. I'm I'm happy we have like um, we're talking about Africa, <clears throat> growing a startup in Africa, and we have from the founders' perspective, VC's perspective, um, um, an ecosystem support so, so, <laughs> perspective. In um, <laughs> my words are um, tiny, my tongue. Um, ecosystem support perspective um, with Tanya and all of that. So I'm looking forward to the discussion. So my first question really that I want to kick off with is um, from each of you's perspective, why Africa? Um, before we even get into what the challenges and um, opportunities, the challenges are, but what are these unique market opportunities that are, pre that are present in Africa that, make, that um, probably other regions don't have? that make it still, even in a downward economy, still a great place to start and invest in a startup. So, um, Ashley, I'll start with you, and then I'll go to Folabi, and then I'll check back with Tanya before Dari. Yeah, go ahead, Ashley. Okay, thank you. Uh, it's a good question. I think that there's a few reasons. Number one is that there are just so many unsolved problems. There's so much opportunity in terms of things that can be done. Um, so uh, for example, you know, doing, uh, the training that we're running with early stage companies, um, we're running one round, it's called the Nexus program. There are about 30 companies there. We've got about 12 in our semicolon ventures portfolio. Uh, no two of them, no two companies have the same or even remotely similar business models that they're running. <laughs> and we could probably have a hundred and before we would have, um, overlap. So I think that there's, when you just have a lot of um, problems that aren't solved or what you can also call non-consumption, it means that there's a lot of opportunity um, to solve those problems and create viable businesses. The second point I would raise is really around demographics. Um, so we have a monthly newsletter called the Semicolon Town Crier. Um, and by the way, if anyone is interested, you can um, I can drop a link um, or you can go to our website and subscribe. But anyway, last month, our, when our team wrote it, uh, they opened it by saying by 2040, the majority of the world's working age population will be in Africa. And I actually called up the person who wrote it and I was like please can you can you send me the source for that data because I thought he had I thought he had mistyped something um, we knew that we know that the demographics 
are changing, but I even I didn't realize sort of how quickly and and the extent, right? Um, so in less than two decades, the fact that over half of working age people on Earth will be in Africa. I mean, it's it's just tremendous, right? Um, and at the same time, so when you take that that kind of demographic trend, um, and then you you kind of combine it with the fact that there are a lot of businesses and solutions that just don't exist here, right? Um, uh, there's just so much opportunity to be created. I think that, you know, if you look at things like ease of doing business index um, across different markets in Africa, you will see that it varies and there are definitely challenges here. Um, so I think it's, it's not always easy. Um, but I'm also a believer that if you can create a viable business and a challenging economy um, and in a challenging market, then you've you've created something real and something strong. Um, and those are the businesses that will really be investable and scalable over time. Um, thank you so much, Ashley. I think that's that's amazing stats. Like I we know that the young population is in Africa, but when you put it like in by 2040, the world's working age about the craziness that is in Africa, but that just presents a lot of opportunity. So um thanks for that perspective. Um for Labby. Okay, so I'll just pick back on what Ashley has already established because um, she spoke on majority of uh, the demographics. Yeah, the the young population is is a major factor for why we like to see a lot of opportunities in Africa because uh, it shows you um, um, where the consumer spend we actually um, we, we actually end up in because right now a lot of businesses. Uh, a lot of the models that we are seeing that, that have been able to monetize in Africa have been B2B because um, um, we have not seen a huge middle class in Africa. But with the young population, we can see that there are opportunities for um, monetization in terms of the middle class growing in numbers and and like. And uh, another huge opportunity uh, I, I, I feel like we also see the mobile penetration because like she has established a lot of the problems, there are numerous problems, but technology is going to be a huge um, optimization of all these problems in Africa, you see. If, the, if we are seeing a high mobile penetration in Africa, it shows you that um, once we can adopt technology to a lot of our problems, then and, um, and people are using mobile more often, then it, it will be faster to actually get data and several other things. So, yeah, so those are those are mine. All right, thank you, thank you, I think um, the mobile um, penetration in the last few years um, does have a lot to do with how fast um, the startup community is growing and um, how using technology to actually solve these problems. Um, so tying back to what Ashley said. So thanks for those points. Um, Tanya, can you speak now? One of the reasons why I particularly um, love. Of startups in Africa is because I feel like there are a lot more opportunities right now on the continent. The, like Ashley said earlier, the population is relatively young, is relatively in comparison to everywhere else in the world. We are very technology away and very adaptable, and that is something that I have found that more and more. Um, young people are entering the technical space, the tech space, in terms of how they work, what they do. And yeah, I feel like there are so much more opportunities. 
they should be in the baby space on these are people that can do work best. And the 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 income as work I've spent the last five years working family with companies in Europe and America. And the one thing I you have to realize when you go to these African startups is that relatively the playbook is empty. So there is space to disrupt in comparison. All right. Thanks a lot, um, Tanya. And I, I think, um, yeah, I would agree with what you said. And just tying into what Ashley said, what Falabi said, just um, the demographics, the opportunity, um, how technology are, where the population is. And um, I love what you said just at the last moment, which was like, um, for Africa, the playbook is really um, empty right now. And so that makes um, it prime for, like, it's a lot of opportunities that present itself, um, unlike other um, regions. So that's um, great. Okay, and last but not least, Dari. Okay, um, so moving away from statistics, right? So um, let me just add, uh, and I think it was Afolabi that talked about, um, you know, the enabling environment, mobile, you know, um, and mobile internet penetration that is helping uh, this market um, in, in, in such a big way. But I want to speak more around uh, the poverty and the low purchasing power uh, in Africa and how that presents huge opportunities that is not available anywhere else in the world. Uh, what it means basically is um, Africa is about problems, but those problems themselves, they create huge opportunities for, for startups. Uh, the level of poverty gives us some indication of the kinds of problems that startups you know, must solve for Africa. So when you say why Africa, you look again at um, the, the 17 sustainable goals of the United Nations, and you see that at least seven of them are targeted at the poor and the vulnerable. And on top of that list is poverty alleviation, basically. So can we solve food problems? Can we solve health problems? Can we solve clean water problems, easy access to education, clean, clean and green uh, energy? And all of these things are require um, committed and innovative um, startups and founders uh, who want to confront these problems head, head on. Uh, and the problems are huge right? when, you, when you look at uh, where uh, Africa is today. Uh, and I believe that um, even from an investment point of view, uh, this is the destination for the kind of investment that you know, um, is, is, is big enough to solve the, the kind of problems that um, we have in, the, in this continent. Uh, the, the other part, of course, is um, how technology uh, is helping uh, gradually to scale the kind of solutions that are targeted at solving these problems. And, I, and you'll find that our ecosystem as well, from startups and technology perspective, is increasing by the day. You have, um, you know, not just programs, but, you know, uh, interested, uh, you know, uh, persons and, um, you know, organizations that are, that are making investment in the ecosystem just to make sure that we have the right skills, the right talent, the right people, you know, and the level of commitment that is enough to harness uh, these opportunities, basically. Um, just really in the economics as well of the African population and being able to solve these problems um, are creating opportunities, but also elevates life 
and um, living conditions. And that is one of the reasons why Africa as well. So I love that perspective. Um, all right. So, um, so the next question I have really is regarding what are some of the top challenges you think that startups face? So we um, talked about like, this is the right place. Um, this is the right time. There's a lot of problems, which makes it a prime place for the, um, there's a lot of opportunity and then there's an enabling environment ish <laughs> in terms of like the people and um, the demographics and just everything seems to be in Africa's favor right now. But it's so challenging. Um, it's challenging to build a business anywhere. It's even more challenging to build a startup anywhere. But Africa has its own unique set of challenges when it comes to building its startup and growing a startup, especially with the economic environment for instance, right now, and then um, all the different challenges. So in your opinion, what do you think, um, what things do you think are, what are the top two to three things? Each person are the challenges that um, startup in, startups in Africa are facing regarding that could affect their growth. Doesn't mean that it stops it, but could affect their growth. And um, yeah, so let's do that. So um, um, Daria, I stopped with you, so I'll start with you. And then I'll go to Ashley, then Tanya, then Folabi. Okay, so I think, um, you know, one of the biggest challenges, uh, you know, uh, from my perspective, uh, my experience is we are also in this same ecosystem where um, there, there are no leverages, right, in terms of um, um, every startup at some point and early enough as well, uh, we need access to funding. Uh, and I believe that's very critical, even after your product is out there. Um, how do you scale and how do you scale very fast uh, to confront uh, those problems that I mentioned uh, head on? Um, unfortunately, um, we don't get the same uh, level playing field uh, uh, as African startups. And that's because uh, the financial institutions um, in this part of the world um, they, they, they also um, try to mitigate risk. And so the requirements for getting funded and for getting lending um, are so strict here. Um, and it's not just uh, about, you know, whether you, you, you have the collaterals to be able to take a facility, but it's just this thing about not trusting, you know, whether uh, investors can get um, a 10x, you know, 20x or 5x return on their investment, right? And so um, the financial institutions are, um, have always been known in this part of the world uh, uh, to be uh, unfriendly um, to even small investment that can get um, a typical and average uh, startup started. Uh, I think that um, the other part of it is because we don't have data, right? So there are no... So we sit on a massive amount of data. The problem is that those data uh, are not exposed to those who can make those critical decisions about investment. Uh, and I'm hoping that you know um, we'll find uh, a different set of investors that can navigate uh, through um, the tons and tons of you know um, you know unanalyzed data, if you will, um, that Africa presents and which can be. Uh, uh, help as a major game changer in the way that investors look uh, at the continent. Uh, the other part, of course, is, um, as a lot of us who already know, um, out of this young population are also young founders as well. 
building uh, new startups. And because um, there are no networks, you know, established networks for this set of founders, and it's really very difficult uh, sometimes to make uh, those warm introductions that you will expect uh, will give you leverage, you know, uh, before potential investors. So existing about, we don't have the same access to funding, uh, we don't have the access to um, a credible network. Uh, those who will say, oh, um, if somebody is introducing Dari to me, uh, and I know that person, then I can almost, um, you know, take it that Dari will turn out to be uh, a, a good founder, basically. So um, there, are, there are other issues that um, we face um, around infrastructure for what uh, to support what we build. But I think um, I want to take those first two points um, as top of my list, basically. Uh, African startup, uh, they need, we, need, we need leverage. Um, unfortunately, we're not getting that at the same you know, level playing field uh, with startups uh, other parts of the world. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much, Daria. I love that perspective. And I think I'll just summarize it like leverage, just leverage in terms of funding, leverage in terms of access to the right ne- networks and leverage in terms of data. I think we are, um, I agree with you, where we're struggling with things that other regions probably won't struggle with. Um, so yeah, thanks for that perspective. Um, Ashley, you want to um, chip in here? Sure. Thank you. Um, so I really agree with the, the points that Daria raised. Um, I think I'll add a couple of different ones. Um, one is what I would sort of categorize generally is that ease of doing business, right? So how how easy is it generally in this operating environment? Um, and that's everything from elect, you know, access to electricity and internet and some of the other infrastructure, roads, things like that, um, as well as sort of ease of navigating government regulations, um, et cetera, um, you know, dealing with issues when they come up in court and so forth. And so, um, and I, so I think generally, you know, we still have, uh, a ways to go in that regard. Um, we have a lot of challenges for business around infrastructure, et cetera. I mean, in, you know, every startup founder here will have to, will have staff occasionally saying they couldn't do something, yesterday evening because there was no light right <laughs> in their house or or there will be issues with the network um that that interrupt half of your call or whatever it is um and we have regulatory uncertainty um for example when um when logo state banned okada a few years ago um people whose businesses had nothing like fintechs right they had their business model had nothing to do with transportation or mobility, um, but their investors still called them from overseas nervous because they they saw if a state government can sort of suddenly uh, make regulatory changes that are going to completely undercut um, certain businesses, um, what does that mean for in terms of predictability um, of the market? So I would say just kind of broadly that ease of doing business context is still relatively low. It's something I think that we really need to focus on. And a lot of those reforms are small and unglamorous, but you just have to sort of tick away at them. Um, The second thing that I would say is around talent. And really, I mean, this is why part of why we created Semicolon. But 
Um, we were just hearing when we were talking to early stage um, and growth stage startups, actually, um, that their biggest, consistently, their biggest challenge was access to the right talent, um, including technical talent, like software engineers, um, which really, you know, makes no sense because we have such a large workforce um, that, that can be put to good use. Um, so we have kind of talent gaps in various capacities. Um, and of course, you know, I can't really take a meeting or go to a conference without somebody asking about Japa, right? <laughs> so um, we, we really, ha I think, have a need to uh, put some focused effort on building local talent and then also um, building efficiency around linking the right talent to the right jobs, um, both of which we're really focused on at Semicolon. Thanks. All right, great. Thanks, Ashley. Um, <laughs> I remember the, at the beginning of the talk when I was like, is um, enabling environment-ish? And that's where the government comes in because there's so many government policy to has to really align with um, a thriving startup community. And that's something that I guess Nigeria is still trying to figure out and a lot of countries in Africa as well. And then there's all the utilities and all of that issue. So that's a very good point. And I think um, I knew this was going to come up. So talent is also really important. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll get back to that. But let me hear Tanya and then we'll go to our lobby. Uh, what I'm actually going to add is from the perspective of the global market side, what I've come across, um, one of the challenges for a lot of startups um, has been trust. A lot of startups struggle to actually build trust with the market. And I remember seeing Months ago, I was conducting um, some market research for a fintech, and that was basically the biggest problem. Where, uh, for example, instead of sending money back home to Nigeria uh, through a fintech, they didn't want to do that because they felt that um, they would disappear, that the fintech would disappear tomorrow, and the money would be gone. So that has been added trust, and there are data gaps in terms of data in terms of the market data, not just the, on the investor side. And that also makes it really difficult to target um, a lot of people on the continent. And that has been a major issue that I have seen in terms of going to market with new products as startups. And companies definitely need to start investing into developing their own first-party data because the data gap actually makes it really difficult to quickly find product market fit, which leads to them burning cash quite quickly. So that's something that I've personally experienced um, on the inside of this all right. Thank you, Tanya. I think you brought up some really good points because trust is a very, very major factor in Africa. And I guess um, just even to your point, I think I would add like there's a lot of education needed to build that level of trust with the populace. And that's something that, like you said, requires a lot of funds um, with startups and that makes them run through, burn through their capital um, faster. And then, um, yeah, that data gap is key. I think um, Dari mentioned that um, from one perspective, but even in order to do proper market research and um, you end up having to build from scratch. So um, it becomes really hard. So yeah, those are some really great points. Um, for Labi, um, yes, so I think the major thing for me is um, I think majority of startups in Africa 
have a shorter lifespan compared to other emerging markets because the the I think the most important thing for a startup to have is a long enough runway to be able to test their model and determine if value is is being provided to the market enough before they move to growth stage. It, we, we, we will now see because they have a shorter lifespan, we see a lot of startups trying to rush the process that is they are trying to move onto the growth stage by propelling themselves either through financing or other means or through um, marketing and trying to um, kind of not act their age really, trying to deceive themselves in saying that they move on to the next stage and trying to expand as fast as possible. But we we'll later see the correction in terms of most of them having to raise down rounds and things like that when there's not enough funding in the market. So I think that's the major thing. And that trickles down onto several other things like um, like Ashley had mentioned, which is um, talent. For example, building the right team is very important for startups because it, it tells you where the business will go. It tells you how fast the business can, can expand if they have the right team. And there's a skill drain in a lot of African countries because a lot of best software developers are moving out of the country and you have to manage with what you've got and stuff like that. So those are those are the major challenges I see. And also finding the right, right partners in terms of not only business partners, but also um, co-founders that, that that can help you propel your, your business, that you have a, a sync relationship that will propel the business to the next level. And also in terms of business part, um, partners, we, we are trying to find um, partners that have the same ethos as your business that will drive you to um, the growth business that you want it to be. So I think those are the key challenges I see. All right. Thank you for Labian. Um, you raised some really good points. I, I like what you said in terms of like um, different. And I think there is this because of if you like maybe last year, the year before COVID to like sometime last year. Um, just the rate of growth with um a lot of African startups and a lot of people were just about like getting funding and not really um I think there was a maybe moving it moving the goalpost away from like actually building a sustainable business and um trying to use other means to get to a particular stage. But um there's something you said that I really um like that a startup needs that long enough runway to actually validate their business as fast as possible, but not enough of them have that time, whether it's because the investors want a return or whether they are not patient enough um, to get the, to get to that point. So I think that's a really, really good point that you raise. Um, talent, um, Ashley raised that, and um, partnerships as well. And I think that's really key. I don't think we have enough collaboration um, in um, as much collaboration as we can. I think it has improved like greatly but there is so much more we can do with collaboration um all right so that just brings me to we've talked a lot of, we've talked about the challenges and we may have some founders on the call or would be founders on the call who are thinking about okay so i'm thinking about starting a startup but there's a lot of challenges and right now in the ecosystem it seems like everybody's kind of like constricting and everybody's in conservation mode and or, or so it seems and it's like is this really the best idea for me? So we've heard about why Africa is a really, really great, um, why Africa is ripe for um, startups and it's a great environment to grow your startup in. And we've talked about the reasons. And we've also talked about the challenges. And some of the things mentioned were talent, 
um, access to funding, access to the right network, um, enough collaborations and partnerships, um, breaking that trust barrier, um, the data gaps. And I think my next question would be um, for the speakers would be, okay, so if I'm a founder right now, I'm listening on the call and I'm wondering like, is this really the right move? In spite of these challenges, what are the things that a founder, would-be founder, early stage um, startup founder can do to, in spite of these um, things, take those steps and still grow in the midst of the challenges, in the midst of the economy and all of that. So how can they tackle some of these things specifically? So I'll just leave it to everybody to kind of touch on which challenge they want to um, kind of break down, what we can do. Of course, there's a lot of improvement and a lot of things that need to be done, but what can someone do today now to get over those hurdles and still build a, a startup that can grow in Africa? So um, Ashley, I'll start with you and then I'll go to Dari and then Palabi. I think, I mean, if somebody's thinking about starting a, a business, um, there, there's somebody we work with who would say, the first thing he would say is, don't do it. <laughs> and the idea being, it's a, it's a very tough journey. Um, so I think I, my key advice would actually be to do a lot of really, really honest and objective reflection before taking the plunge. Um, and if it's, if after, um, all of that, you still feel reasonably certain, um, that there's something there, um, then, then you can go for it in a calculated way. Um, I'll give a few examples. So humans are, are prone to something called optimism bias, which means that we are more likely we, if there's a outcome that we want, where we overestimate the likelihood of that thing happening. And conversely, we sort of underestimate the likelihood of problems coming up, right? So um, when people are thinking about starting a business, they can just sort of envision. They see the opportunity. Um, maybe they've seen some you know, news headlines about other people like them having been successful. Um, they can envision success. And then they start to overestimate the likelihood of that success. So we really have to work as hard as possible to combat that natural bias we all have and sit down and think about really what are, what are all of the things that could go wrong. Um, in planning, um, like project management, um, one technique is to do what's called a pre-mortem. So a post-mortem is after a project fails, the team sits around and talks about why it died, right? A pre-mortem is basically having that same conversation, but before you even start it. Um, and that's just a one technique a team can or a founder can use to sort of um, anticipate what are the things that are most likely to kill this business, right? Um, and really go through, do it, do that exercise, write down all of the risks, <laughs> do some modeling. Um, when you do your modeling and you think about how long you know, um, how many customers am I going to probably be able to bring in? How much money and time will I have to invest before I can launch and do that? Double all of those numbers, right? Double how long it's going to take, double how expensive it's going to be, um, double, you know, cut in half the amount of, of revenue you think you're going to make or even, even by more, right? Um, so really kind of look at 
uh, look at the, the scenarios realistically as possible. And then also look at your own self and your own life as objectively as possible. So nobody has every single skill, um, which is fine, right? Um, and oftentimes you'll think about kind of, you'll want to think about a co-founder or a starting team uh, with complementary skills, um, but the, the team will need to grow. Uh, but think objectively about really what are the set of skills that you're going to need early on, because you might have a lot of expertise in a particular sector um, and maybe some strong technical skills, right? So maybe you can build a platform, um, you, you can code, um, you're a software engineer, maybe a very good one, right? But it doesn't necessarily mean that you have all of the skills to run a business, um, to manage people, um, to negotiate partnerships, right? Um, to, to manage projects, etc. So, you know, think objectively about those skills as objectively, and I would say ask people for honest feedback, right? Um, and then the last thing I would say is in that planning stage, really think about how you're going to survive. So um, as a founder, you have to be prepared to not consistently draw salary from the business for a period of time, maybe a few years. Um, so what's, what's the plan, right? Do you have a spouse whose income can carry the family? Do you have enough savings to be able to carry you for a few years? Uh, whatever it is, um, just be, be very realistic about that plan, keeping in mind what I said about doubling the timeline, right? So if you think you'll start making money in a year, um, no, make it two years, right? And then maybe you still are going to even be investing so much in the business that you're not paying yourself a lot, even in the third year as well. So do you know, take, uh, take a cold shower, look at all those harsh realities um, up front would be my main piece of advice. Thanks so much, Ashley. I love, love, love the points you raised because it's such a realistic perspective. And I guess it's a perspective that not many people like to think about. Like, everybody's like, what if it goes right? What if, what if it goes wrong? Are you ready for that, um, <laughs> that other side of things? And I think um, you mentioned something. Expectations is so key. Um, and, um, real disappointment and burnout and, um, real, like it really comes when like expectations don't meet the reality. And I love how you said uh, many people underestimate the problems and over overestimate the likelihood of success. I think that's really, really true. And I think, um, count the cost, like you said, like do a pre-mortem. What, what are all the possible scenarios? I think, I mean, it will only help to, you have to be optimistic in doing business. You have to believe the best, but it also Maybe I should say you have to be pessimistically optimistic or optimistically pessimistic. You have to just figure out worst case scenarios and not best case scenarios. So I think that's really key. And I love what you said about like really being honest about, yeah, honest about the business idea, honest about your strengths in terms of like your skill level and how are you going to match where you lack and being very practical about that and um, um, thinking, um, asking people for feedback. And I love the practice outside of it and I think it's something that everybody can take and um, um, implement and think about it so if you're thinking about starting um, starting becoming a founder um, starting a startup um, just really assess everything and think about is this really what you want to do before you jump right in don't do it because it seems great and everybody's doing it actually look are you actually solving a problem how are you going to do this kind of like work out 
scenarios. You can't prepare for every single scenario, right? But do what you can. Um, I love how, as you said, double the timeline. So if you think you're going to be profitable in two years, make it four. Just It just helps expectations. It just helps. If you beat that and do it in two years, great. If you don't, then you know, oh, we made we we felt we we're going to do this in four. And that just helps um, um, buffer a lot of things. So I think those are some great points, um, Ashley. Thanks a lot. Um, Dari. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, Ashley touched on some, some very important points. And I'll, I'll just uh, add to that. Um, I think the default mode for most founders is that they need money uh, to be successful with their startups. And I think it's the general mindset. Uh, what I would like to add is this thing that Ashley mentioned about, you know, um, are you good at b- building a business, right? Uh, can you can you manage people? Can you um, negotiate partnership? Can you um, even think through your product? There are lots of things that uh, startup founders right, um, don't have at the time they are starting out to build their business. And um, from my experience, um, I, I think if I was to do it all over again, I will, I will go to an accelerator, right, uh, learn about, you know, uh, you know, validation of ideas, how to build a product, how to talk to customers, uh, what I need to take care of in terms of my M- MVP, you know, and how I must not launch out to try to serve everybody and at the end of the day fail because um, I don't have the resources. And in fact, I haven't fully validated my, my idea. You know, the journey itself that uh, you, you spoke uh, about where you said, you know, yeah, it can be very tortuous and, you know, very difficult, you know, for new founders. And they need to check, you know, are they ready to go that journey? And for me, what an accelerator does is it basically helps you to de-risk that journey. Uh, it helps you to be a bit more, more realistic. The training that you get from a good accelerator is so invaluable that if you have it before you venture out. In fact, um, part of validating your idea may require that you even start to change those ideas or modify them, right? Right within the accelerator program. If you can find that knowledge somewhere else, that's fine. But I think that uh, most accelerators within three months or so um, will be able to give you that knowledge that you need in every area. It's like a small MBA for you you know, within uh, just a couple of weeks. The other thing is uh, I wanted to I want to add is founders tend to fall too much in love with their products. So, um, and it's something that um, new founders have to be cautious about. Um, you have to have that open mind uh, and be realistic. Is this thing about being realistic? Uh, you will know when it's not working and there's no point pouring funds uh, to something that is not working because... Uh, traction is also very important, but traction measured by time, right? So even if you get traction, how long did it take you to get that traction? So you don't want, and I think those are the things that will wear down the founder, right? If you are not growing as you expect um, and you stay on, on that course, then obviously, right, um, you will burn out. And, and so my point basically is um, how do you de-risk that journey? Um, getting the right training from the right, um, you know, environment, right, that covers everything that you need to know 
before you even venture out. Uh, the, the, the last point is this thing about funding, right, that I started with. Um, funding is very critical, but it's definitely not what you need to launch out. And I think um, one of the common pitfalls is that every founder wants to launch out big. And when you don't have enough funds to do that, you already feel defeated. You feel that your startup will never succeed. Whereas the approach uh, will be to build something that um, you know is great and then try and run that through a few people, get an MVP out there, validate the idea, test with a few users. And if that is super successful, you can replicate that MVP. So in fact, investors will be very happy when they see the progress that is made with the MVP. Uh, and of course, you can't go on that journey alone. Uh, whether it's a co-founder, a mentor, an advisor, you know, uh, or even your spouse, for those who are married, you need somebody to share your problems with. Otherwise, uh, the burnout, uh, you know, can really, really be demoralizing and some founders will just uh, give up too early. Those are some really, really, really good points. Um, it's not just about the money. It's about actually running a business. I think there, um, growing a successful startup is much more than funding. We know many startups that have funding and still failed. And a lot of um, startups have closed up, not because they didn't know how to run a business, disclaimer, but like we've seen a lot of startups with a lot of funding close up in the past year, right? So it's um, a successful startup doesn't equal, I get funding that I'm going to be successful. And I agree with you where a lot of people just look about, I just need the money to start. I just need the money to start. It goes beyond the product, goes beyond the funding and really looking at, all the other economic, the other aspects of running a business and really, really understanding these key soft skills that actually make for a su successful um, um, startup. So I think those are some really great points. Um, I love what you said about pivoting. It's very, very important. I agree with you 110%. So many founders fall in love with the idea and don't want to let it go. And it's like, this is the best thing. And even sometimes when you're talking, it's like, no, 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 you don't see it like I do. You have to be so objective with yourself. You need to look at your business from the outside in and really get as much feedback. Don't be so attached to the idea that you miss out where you're supposed to make a change that could be the difference between success and failure. So that's really, really important. And um, I love what you said about accelerators. And um, there's definitely, I think accelerators bring in a lot. And it, like you said, it really deescalates the risk. and teaches you a lot in a really short period of time. So if you definitely can get into an accelerator, definitely try to do that. I think it will be worth your while. And um, um, Y Combinator has this thing they run from time to time, startup school, that is actually very um, valuable. It's open for everybody. It's free. You can check it out if that's something you want to do. Um, and you could just go through that. But if you can, you're thinking about it and you're like, okay, how do I go this? Try to get into an accelerator. It would really help you. And don't go it alone. Find partners. You need that. Um, help you need that um what's it called boost like um you need when the going gets tough you need that person to encourage you and back and forth and vice versa so thanks Dari, for i think those are some really great points um so we're rounding up right about now for labi i'll take your points and we should be done yeah so for labi you can go ahead okay thank you very much um i think um a little point i've, I've already established but i'll just drop a few um, I think building a, a startup is a very hard task and, and it's very scary. And I, I don't know why anyone would want to do it. I think my own advice would be that every founder should look at it in, in terms of the responsibility, not only to um, the 
themselves but also to the ecosystem because you try to look at it that you are building something um that will propel this this uh, market into the next level yeah we are building a foundation for something better and i think if you, if you are going to build something you're supposed to have a vision of what you want it to be like you don't just take that leap of faith without a vision i think that's the first thing for for any founder to have, have a vision of what you want it to be like you must do rigorous research to understand that this is what I want to achieve, and this has probably been done in other markets. A comparable geographical performance that can help you um, tell you what your market will look like at the end of the day. The first challenge for an entrepreneur is to build an organization that can test this assumption systematically. And the second challenge, as in all entrepreneurial situations, is to perform the rigorous testing without losing sight of this vision. And, and that's what I think. So they, they need to they need to build a vision, then test it, then um, to determine if if it actually adds value to the market. And I, I always feel like if you're going to be taking the leap of it, you should have it in mind that there's a huge part, um, there's a huge percentage that the business is going to fail because of, of the law of uncertainty. But like I said, the first the overarching thing to be that what are you doing it for? Are you, are you doing it just to make money or you are doing it to add value? You, you should uh, set your priorities right here. All right. Thank you. What are you doing? I'll get clear on that. Is it just to make money or you actually are solving a problem? passionate about that. I think having that clear is going to be the thing that takes you through. And just being very, very realistic. I think the statistic, and it may be worse now, is 5% of startups succeed. So, there are 95 chances to five that you will not succeed. As crazy as that sounds, it's not, it's not great to hear, but it's the fact of, again, just like really count the cost and really determine whether it's something you want to do. But if it's something you want to do and you do the work, like I think all the speakers gave so many great insights and I think it's so valuable. And I think if anybody's here listening, anybody that will listen to the recording and just take this and like just really count the cost and decide you want to do it and just focus, I think it can be very rewarding as well. Um, so yeah, I think we're wrapping up right now. Thank you so, so very much to our speakers. Um, Dari, thank you so much. Falabi, thank you. Ashley, thank you. Tanya was having an internet problem, so she had to drop off, but thank you, Tanya, as well. And um, Elton, I don't know if you want to say a word uh, or not. Before we go, if we're good, just give me a thumbs up. And thank you to everyone who was listening. Um, thank you guys for joining us and um, listening to the whole conversation. Um, it was I've learned a lot. I enjoyed the conversation. And I just encourage you guys to connect with the speakers. Um, one thing I think, um, and I think um, Ashley mentioned it, don't be afraid to ask questions, right? So connect with people, ask them questions. People are more willing to help than, there are more people willing to help than people who are not, right? And it's a space where sharing information is actually like, it's very, very, very valuable. Learning from someone else will save you a whole lot of time than trying to go at it yourself. So definitely connect with speakers, connect with other attendees, and just also just have an, an attitude of learning and um, yeah, you'll go far. So thank you so much to the speakers. Um, okay, thank you so much, everyone. Thank you once again to our speakers, um, Dari, Falabi, Ashley, thank you for coming and sharing with us and just... Um, giving out value tonight. I know everybody would be very, um, everybody that listens to it would be very impacted and learn a lot. So thank you so much. And thank you to everyone who attended. I think it was a great session. 
And we'll see you next time for our next Twitter space. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast. If you found value in today's episode, you can find more at gotlaunchpad.com. Stay inspired, stay innovative, and keep building those dreams. Until next time, bye.